listeners, Kelsey Foremost here, your host of Find Your Magic, the podcast where mental health and entrepreneurship meet. Today, we are keeping Pride Month going and telling queer stories, shedding light on our friends in the LGBTQIA community. And I have such an amazing guest for you guys today. Today, I am speaking with Georgia Clark. She is a novelist, performer, and screenwriter. She has an amazing queer romance coming out tomorrow, June 14th. It's called Island Time. Um, It's her fourth book, and she specializes in rom-coms, which I just think rom-coms don't get enough credit. What a wonderful, wonderful genre that has brought so much joy to the world. And also, I think rom-coms help me anyway, so I'll speak for myself, ask really important questions about what kind of partner I want to be, what kind of relationship I want to attract, what's important to me. It can help you define your values. It can also infuse a sense of fun and a sense of play into your life. So shout out to rom-coms. So Georgia writes primarily romantic comedy, queer content. She's the author of Island Time that comes out tomorrow. It Had to Be You, which was a hugely successful book with Simon and Schuster. She wrote The Bucket List and others. She's also the host and the founder of a popular storytelling night called Generation Women, which is an evening of storytelling that happens monthly at Joe's Pub in New York City, where they call attention to and invite a female identifying person to come in every generation to tell a story on one central theme. And you can read more about those incredible stories at their website, generationwomen.us. Georgia is also a native Australian. Australian. She's probably any Aussie who heard me do that is probably cringing. And she is from Australia, but she currently lives in Brooklyn with her hot wife and her daughter and a fridge full of cheese, according to her bio, which just really makes the copywriter in me so happy to see that little nugget. That's a fun, uh, fun little takeaway copywriting fact bonus. If you put something fun in your bio like that, that really paints a picture of who you are, I hear fridge full of cheese. I immediately like Georgia, but I would have liked her anyway, because this conversation that we had is so full of gold nuggets about how to actually make both a living and a life as a creative entrepreneur. We talk about the roller coaster that is creating a long form project, like a novel. We talk about her journey from writing for a music magazine to becoming a a successful novelist who continues to put out really important, wonderful work and all of the ways that we can make money to support our art rather than putting the pressure on our art to make us money. That is such an important question to ask ourselves. You know, why are we drawn to entrepreneurship in the first place? Why are we drawn to creative pursuits? What is the itch that this path scratches for us? It's about so much more than just a job or a project. It's about what are we attracting into our lives that helps us become better humans? What are we bringing into our day that is 
giving us that infusion of joy and connection and not just happiness, but the dark stuff too, the, the harder things. Um, one of the most beautiful side effects of living a creative life, I think, is finding other people who have been through experiences like you've been through and lifting each other up through those experiences and sharing them with each other. Gosh, I'm just so excited for you guys to know more about Georgia through this conversation and beyond. Please check out her website, georgiaclark.com. Order her book, support her, support her community. Gosh, I'm just going to go ahead and hit play because I'm so excited for you guys to meet my new friend, Georgia Clark. Magic makers, you guys are so lucky because today I have author, artist, conversation starter, Georgia Clark with me on Find Your Magic today. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Georgia, I would love, I was digging into your website and your story, and a lot of the listeners are people who are forging non-traditional paths, whether it's through their career, whether it's through their art. And I would love, because a lot of times when we're a creative person and we're looking for inspiration, we often only see the final product. We see the person after they've kind of quote unquote made it for lack of a better term. And so I'm always interested in asking creative people who are so successful, how did you get started? How did you find your way to the path you're on now? Sure. I think that's such a good point. We, we do really see people who have quote unquote made it, you know, in moments of success and the creative life is a roller coaster. It's ups and downs. And so we, we see people in, in their up moment and then maybe a couple of years later, something hasn't come out or whatever, but we're not thinking about that or being aware of that trajectory because we're just, we're seeing other people whose, whose moment has arrived. So yes, it can sometimes kind of feel like life is just full of all of these people having all of these amazing wins around you, but you're really not seeing the underside of that. And those quiet moments when people are creating or, or just off social media or doing something else. So it's just a good thing to keep in mind. So I am an author and a storyteller. I have a book coming out tomorrow. Yay! <laughs> My fourth book with Simon and Schuster, Island Time, which is a queer romantic comedy. I'm sure we'll chat about that later. We sure will. I'm nervous and excited to ask you some questions about it. <laughs> okay, great. No need to be nervous. No need to be nervous. <laughs> so I'm, an, I'm a novelist and I also founded and host a storytelling series called Generation Women. Uh, where we invite a woman or non-binary performer in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s and 70s plus every month to tell an original story on a theme. The show is currently at Joe's Pub in New York City, which if you if you haven't heard of it, you're thinking, oh, it's a pub, Mm, big deal. But it's actually a wonderful medium sized cabaret theater attached to the public theater, which is a one of, I think, New York City's best venues, one of my favorite venues. Absolutely. I fangirled the fuck out when I saw that you were at Joe's Pub because so many incredible things start in Joe's Pub. The seed is planted there. And man, oh man, what a fun history to be woven into. That's such yeah, a great we, venue. We had our eyes on, on Joe's for years before we got there. Speaking of ups and downs. Yeah. So, 
Uh, and I, I work as a full-time creative, so I don't have a day job. These, this is like those two things in my day job. I also teach, I teach a romance workshop, working with aspiring pre-published writers to polish and perfect their craft specifically in the romance genre, but it also is like a general fiction workshop. And I do other, like a few other bits and pieces, a hustler, definitely to kind of make ends meet every month. And I have been doing that for most of my career. I've only had a few full-time jobs. So I've always been stitching it together, yeah. <laughs> trying to make it work, trying to be able to fund my creative pursuits and my passions. So Magic Makers, back when I was freelancing full-time and I only had one-on-one -on -one clients, I was in such a pickle because I really didn't understand how I was going to be able to scale my business and be able to actually make money without literally putting more hours in my day. I was so burnt out. I was so exhausted. I didn't know what to do. I hated having to hunt for clients every single month. And I am not exaggerating when I tell you the best thing I did in my business, looking back over the last three years is create a signature digital course. And I host that course on Kajabi. Kajabi is a sponsor of this podcast, but I would talk about them till the cows come home anyway, because they literally completely changed the way that I do business and have allowed me to pursue the projects that I really want to pursue because I just make money on autopilot. Now my course is out into the world. It was so easy to create and launch because not only do they have the best customer support I've ever seen in my life, but you can actually build marketing funnels and email funnels and like anything that you can possibly think of that you would need as a support for your online course, it's already on Kajabi and they show you exactly how to do it. So if you're like me and you're technology averse, Kajabi is literally the best option for you. And I shopped around and I am so happy I landed with Kajabi. It's the number one most trusted knowledge commerce platform for a reason. So if you want a 30-day free trial, head to kelseyformost.com slash Kajabi. That's kelseyformost.com slash K-A-J-A-B-I. Oh gosh, can we pause on that for one moment? Because I think that's such an important nugget and I don't want to gloss over that. I think that a lot of times sort of speaking to this idea of only seeing the highlight reel, right? Mm. Not seeing the behind the scenes. We see a big success. We see someone as a published author, their fourth book is coming out. They're with Simon and Schuster, which is a hugely recognizable publishing house. And yet we don't always talk about that author who is successful is still doing all of these things in order to be able to live and work and pursue that passion and that art. It is normal. Let it, let's normalize that creative people often, sometimes for their whole careers, do cobble together things that attract money in order to fund their art. But what's awesome about that is that can often inform our art right? Like the different things that we do, the different people that we meet, the stories you're hearing in generation women, I can only imagine 
the kinds of fuel that that gives you as an author to then turn that around, like marinate in that and have it inform your art. Yeah, there's a lot of sort of unexpected upsides and things that happen as a result of of the creative path. But it is a good point. My literary agent, who I love, Alison Hunter, did a Q&A with my students last night. And one of her pieces of advice was, she's like, I would advise, if you know, the writers that I know who have the best mental health have a day job. And Mm -hmm. specifically with publishing, I mean, there's a lot more money to be made, I think, in other art forms, not that I know much about them, but uh, publishing is notoriously, it's very hard to make a living in publishing and only the people who are at, you know, who are regularly getting the New York Times bestseller list do it. And so it is, I, I always think of Elizabeth Gilbert's great advice in Big Magic, which I'm sure is a touchstone book for you and your community because it's so good. I'm looking at it right now. It's yeah. a podcast is also amazing. Have you ever heard the podcast? I have, I have. And the piece of advice that stayed with me the most from her wonderful book was don't see your art as being responsible for making you money. It's your responsibility to make money. So you have time to do your art. Mm. And I see that a lot with writers is this frustration. I mean, there's a lot of issues that writers, you know, especially aspiring writers, pre-published writers and writers like myself have to deal with and one of them is this idea that you're not selling your work to cover the cost of its making which is very hard to do in the beginning then you're a failure or something like that and that's just not true at all especially if you're an aspiring novelist you do have to get comfortable with the idea that a you might not sell your first finished manuscript most writers have at least a few unpublished entire books in their bottom drawer. I have two, two complete, <laughs> complete manuscripts that'll probably never see the light of day. Yep. That took me collectively like two and a half years to write. Yep. And, and be like, even when you do sell a book, it probably won't, if you don't do the numbers, like don't crunch the math because it's not going to be a, a favorable hourly wage for you. Yeah. Don't become <laughs> an author for the salary. <laughs> no, no, do it for the love. And there are, and there are so many benefits that come outside of money. I mean, you know, yes. I don't, I hate capitalism. I don't want to live in a capitalist society. And it really is one of the many ways that it tricks us is by telling us that money is the most important thing to achieve, which is just fundamentally not true. Yes. And there's a lot of aspects to being a writer, which have nothing to do with money that are very satisfying such as the community, like the writer's community that you can proactively form around you. When I sold my first book to Simon & Schuster, I created an author salon Mm. by cold emailing people. I love a cold email. I've sent many cold emails daily in my life. Copywriter, copywriter nerd over here. I love a cold email. (laughs) I'm always sending cold emails to people. And, you know, it's just, it's just sort of one of the ways that you have to do it on the hustle. And I started a salon because I had sold a book. So happy to have done that. I didn't know any other authors and I knew that community was important. And that salon meant met monthly in my home up until COVID. Mm. And so there, are, and that was such a fun thing to do. It was so awesome to meet with other writers who I didn't know and, and, you know, but had so much in common with because we were both in the publishing world. Mm-hmm. And so I do recommend if you are an aspiring photographer or 
you know, musician or whatever you are to, you can kind of proactively start a meetup group where, and you don't know how that those relationships will benefit you in the long run. All creative arts is it's a long game, you know, yes. it's, you have to know you're in it for the long haul and that sometimes it's relationships that you formed 10 years ago that will sort of come back around and help you out. So I try and <laughs> when I'm in the heat of something, a rejection, you know, whatever, I, I do try and pull myself out of it and, and try and think of the big picture. Like this will pass something, yeah. you know, the roller coaster goes on. So try not to get so caught up in whatever down moment I'm experiencing. Oh man, what amazing advice. That's so, so true. And actually will take us kind of back to that original nugget of the question, which was when you were forming those initial uh, relationships and when you needed that support and before, maybe before you even had your first book that sold, what was, cause I know you had a background in your twenties that was, you were a writer, but you weren't a novelist yet. You're a performer as well. So I'd love if you shared a little bit about what led to that first book selling, like what was, yeah. what were the seeds that were planted in order for that to then grow into what your life has become? So in my in, at university, I went to school for screenwriting and filmmaking. I wanted to be a screenwriter. I wanted to tell stories. And mm -hmm. the way that I thought that I was going to do that was becoming a filmmaker. I made a couple of short films at school and, and out at, and, and in my 20s. They were expensive. I, think <laughs> I wasted a lot of money on those films. Uh, or at least maybe just shouldn't have spent as much money on them. <laughs> I certainly was like spending a lot more than everyone else was uh, because they're probably saving up to buy a house or something smart like that. Sadly, I've not done that. Um, but I, and I was in my, in my 20s, I fell in with the music crowd and was in the music industry. I was the editor of a weekly music magazine, a street mm -hmm. press magazine, which is sort of similar to the Village Vanguard that you might know in America. Um, but Sydney, where I'm from, from Australia, I lived in mm -hmm. Sydney, had a lot of street press magazines. And I had that job that was sort of like my big 20 something job that was really fun. And, and I was like 23 and the editor, of the, I didn't tell anyone how old I was. I think they all thought I was a little bit older than 23. Uh, and in charge of like a relatively large staff. That's such and a good lesson though, because like age does not matter. My favorite students and listeners are often the ones who are really young and ones who are senior citizens because they kind of have this ageist thing against them where they have something to say. They have an important story to tell. And often their age is something that holds them back or they feel held back by their age in wanting to contribute that story. Well, that's, you know, part of the philosophy of generation women, which is mm -hmm. an you know, anti-ageist show. Yes. And so, but then at the end of my tenure with my music magazine life, I knew that if I stayed in that job, I was on track to become an editor, which was perfectly great. Like what a great job. Um, <laughs> and I, but I really did have the sense that I didn't want to be helping other people like find their voice and celebrate their careers. I wanted to be in the magazine. Like I wanted to be right. someone that people were writing about. And so I quit that job, even though it was great to kind of refocus back on becoming an artist myself. And I did have a book published in Australia, a small YA young adult novel, 
with I was a writing for Girlfriend magazine at the time, which is like Seventeen magazine, and they were releasing a line of standalone young adult fiction. Mm. So all um, not a series, but like all one-off stories, but sort of they were doing it in partnership with a major publisher. And I wrote a story for them. It was fifty thousand words, which is like less than half of what my books are now. And I. I liked it. I had a fun time with it, but I really thought it was just a one-off. I was like, oh, this is just like another project that I'm doing in like kind of slate of interesting projects that I do. Yeah. And But I really want to be a filmmaker. But by the time I moved to New York, when I was 29, I sort of had the sense of this is a hard road. Being a screenwriter and a filmmaker, you need sort of money and connections. And I didn't have any of those things when I moved to New York. Mm. And I realized that writing novels would probably scratch the same storytelling itch as film would because Mm -hmm. it's really about telling stories. That's what I wanted to do. And so I wrote a book when I moved to New York. It didn't sell, but I got an agent out of it. I wrote another book that did sell for a teeny tiny amount of money. And then by that stage, I was in my early 30s. And I had the sort of that do or die moment of like, I can't keep, this isn't a sustainable career. Like I'm just not making, like you've got to make some money. I wasn't making any money. It was taking all of my time. So I went into the next book project with a different attitude, which was I'm going to hire a freelance editor. I'm going to read more widely in my genre and just keep educating myself. I'm going to be working nights and weekends on this book. Like I'm going to do what it takes. Mm. to write a book that sells to a major publisher that I have like a proper team behind me to like launch me into the writing world. And so with The Regulars, which was my first book for Simon & Schuster, that's what happened. I did sell it for a good advance. I did, you know, it's still the publisher that I'm with now. And I think part of that was really, you know, like call it positive visualization, call it having a plan, you know, whatever, wherever you kind of fall on the spectrum call it both yeah it can be both it was it was I really think it was really helpful for me in just sort of defining what I needed to happen what I wanted to happen and so that kind of put me onto the path that I'm am now publishing with them and so I do see it as a result of one just realizing that my passion and what I wanted to do could take another format and be satisfying Mm. So sometimes that's a good thing to do. Like if you're coming, hitting up a brick, up against a brick wall with, with it, kind of taking a, a bird's eye view and thinking, well, what do I really want to do? Like what's fundamental about this? How can I change my approach to be able to do that? So for me, it was kind of shifting from screenwriter, filmmaker to novelist. And in many ways, it's, I mean, it's such a great job because you can do it from anywhere and you don't need to have, you're not waiting for anyone's permission to do it. You can work in your pajamas, like, <laughs> you know, remote working, like COVID didn't really like quarantine didn't really change very much for me. So like there was a lot of benefits to being a novelist. And, Absolutely. and the other one was just being really clear on what I wanted to have happen and just sort of like, and I hired a freelance editor that was like what I, I paid for that myself. So you do have to like invest in yourself for your self growth and development, professional development. It was really worth it for me. okay, magic maker, I'm going to take this to the basics real quick. If you don't know 
copywriting is writing that's designed to make someone take a desired action. That action could be subscribing to your email list or buying a product and everything in between. And yeah, you could hire a professional copywriter every time you need to write something for your business, but that's going to cost you thousands of dollars a year for somebody who's actually good. So why not learn how to write your own high converting copy so that you can write your own emails and write a website once and for all that actually represents who you are and your unique gift that you share with the world and connects with your ideal clients in a way that encourages them to take action. You can learn all of that and more in my signature course, copy class. It's designed for non-writers and entrepreneurs who don't really have time to go through a really extensive numbers, heavy copywriting class. This is for you. If you just want the basics so that you can write your own copy, get a website that converts once and for all that's kelseyformost.com slash copy class. Oh my gosh. There are so many things about what you just said in the story you just told, which thank you so much for all of that. That was full of gold nuggets. And I loved, I wrote down what you said. I wanted to find the thing that scratched the itch. I, I knew you knew that screenwriting and I have a very similar story. Um, I don't know if you know this, I was an actress for 10 years, screenwriter, same deal, had this crisis where I thought I really, I, there's something about this career. Obviously I've invested so much of myself and my identity in becoming an actor. And yet the business side of it is making me so unhappy that I need, something's got to give, I have to change my trajectory. And I did a very similar thing. I did some introspection. What is it about acting that lights my fire? And I feel like that is a question that not a lot of people ask. People ask, what is it you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? They don't ask what aspect of that career is the thing that lights you up? So that is such a valuable question for people to go away asking themselves, okay, maybe you want, maybe you tuned into this episode because you want to be a novelist. You want to make that your life. What is it about being a novelist that lights up your insights? What is it about being a storyteller? What ways can you scratch that itch? How can you invest in yourself in that way? That's just such a valuable takeaway. Mm -hmm for listeners. And I'm speaking of storytelling. I would love to know, were you always telling queer stories? Was that something that was important to you? Or was that something that kind of became more part of your narrative as your career went along? It's definitely become more front and center. My books have always had queer characters in them. Like every one of them has had queer characters, but I realized and it was one of my pandemic revelations, which of which I know we all had many, <laughs> <laughs> that I really wanted to put queer love stories front and center of my work, especially as I'm now writing romantic comedies. My first two books were more general fiction. They had romantic elements to them, but they weren't really by definition rom-coms. Mm-hmm. And my last book, It Had to Be You, was far and away my most successful book and it was sort of like a rom-com on steroids. It was a story centred around a female friendship actually, but it was like a love actually style 
narrative braiding together of five love stories based around these two women mismatched owners of a wedding planning business and so <laughs> it is really a fun book to write with the books that I'm working on now I'm I'm firmly in the romantic comedy genre which I really like a lot and within that genre it's my you know current mission to tell queer love stories they're the stories that I just as a fan like the most I you know whether it's um feel good heartstopper on netflix or you know the writing of casey mcquiston there's so many wonderful queer love stories being told right now that i'm just a huge fan of and they are so vital and important in claiming that cultural space telling these stories especially using these formats like we're familiar with rom-com tropes but we're so familiar with just boy meets girl that's kind of the story that we know and what's so exciting about all of these new queer writers who are telling their stories is just seeing something that usually typically isn't represented and and should be and needs to be and and I love it (laughs) so yeah and that's kind of what I'm doing now I love that. And that makes me think too about other areas where, as you said, there are these formulaic tropes, right? And we don't even realize our implicit bias that it usually is cis, white, hetero relationships Mm -hmm. that are the center of these stories. Or if it's not a relationship, even just a character as the center of these stories. We don't even realize that that's where our head goes. When we hear rom-com, we immediately go to when Harry met Sally or fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important to be able to use that amazing container of that romantic comedy that does make us feel it's all about what things make us feel at the end of the day. Right. Mm -hmm. And to have that representation is so important for characters of all gender expressions and sexual identities. And that's why I think it's really exciting that Mae Martin is going to be involved in mm-hmm. Island Time, the audiobook. Mm-hmm. That's so mm-hmm. exciting. I know. Yeah. I can't kind of quite believe it's happening, actually. <laughs> I, for people who don't know who Mae Martin is, Mae Martin is an uh, amazing comedian. Canadian comedian living in London uh, who had a show come out in March 2020 called Feel Good, which is how I discovered them, Maze Non-Binary. And I just fell in love with the show. If you haven't watched it, please stop listening to this podcast and go and watch it right now <laughs> and then come on back. Do it. You have permission. <laughs> and I really became a, a, a fan overnight. I also had nothing much else to do. So because it was like quarry, like COVID in, in yeah, New York I mean, City. And what April a release date. Like, <laughs> and when it came to writing Island Time and casting in my head the queer dream boat as part of the cast, I really had May in my head for the role, which is a really fun way to write, actually, because, you know, when you know someone's voice pretty well, you can kind of write for them. And it just it just made the whole experience really pleasurable. And then when we were casting the audiobook, I wrote May a letter. I don't, I don't know them. And was like, I'm, hello, <laughs> I'm a novelist in New York City. Um, that cold big, email, like, coming back yeah. to that cold email. Oh yeah, just another cold email. Like I wrote a book and kind of based a character on you. If you would be interested in reading that part in the audiobook. 
And they said yes to my great surprise. And I think, honestly, my entire team surprised. And so May will be recording the role of List Chambers uh, in an ensemble. It's an ensemble. So there's seven points of view in this book. So there's, there's seven people, actors reading this story. And, and May's one of them, which I am really excited about. May, you know, that's when I'm talking about people creating really important content, like, content god like stories that are funny and smart and wise and and gritty and and sexy like definitely may is one of those creators so like please discover them and yes, <laughs> listen to everything yes. that they're doing absolutely and by the way listeners the book comes out tomorrow june 14th so get ready to hit that buy button the link is in the show notes below so that you can be sure to be first on the list to get your hands on island time whether it's the digital copy the physical copy or the audiobook we've got all of those links below now before i let you go georgia i would love to know what's next for you? You know, you have this book coming out. And I think that a lot of times when we, it's like birthing a baby, right? Having a creative project come to fruition like this, it really is like sending your kid off into the world. And I have found, and this is book four for you. So I'm sure you probably can relate to this a bit. When that happens, I usually have a little bit of creative hangover Mm. and I'm so worried I'll never be able to create something of this either caliber or size or whatever it is. Again, who am I to do this? And I'll have like Mm. a, like a letdown period almost. And then inevitably I'll get inspired again at some point, but I'd love to know what your afterbirth looks like for your creative projects. Yeah, no, it's really true. And I do always recommend to writers if you're you know if you've finished a book and you're you know you send it out on submission to find an agent which is usually the first kind of thing that writers do it's it can be a really scary time and just start start something else like you need more I always have a few irons in the fire and with my publishing schedule like right now I'm just about to start the third draft of my next book Mm. so that like we'll probably hopefully be selling that this summer sometime and so like I'm you know it's I think most people assume like oh you've got a book that's coming out and then you know you wait a month and then you start the next one but most writers have already I mean the book goes into production is in is in production for a year before it comes out and then the writing is over at that point so most writers are well on to if you're publishing on a regular schedule. And so I'm, yeah, about to start the third draft of my next book, which is another ensemble rom-com. No surprise there. And, and actually this summer, another writer, friend of mine, Hannah Orenstein and I are launching a new project called Heartbeat, which is a weekly Substack email celebrating love stories, short stories. So if you head over to the heartbeat.substack.com, we will be starting July 15th. We're releasing every week a, a short story that is a love story from all of your favorite writers, including us, but we have an amazing slate of writers lined up and that's going to be a weekly drop from July uh, until the sun explodes. 
And <laughs> so I'm working on that right now, which is really fun. Of course, That's Generation so Women is going on. So we've got like monthly shows for Gen Women. Um, so come see me in New York. And I guess I'll probably be doing some teaching and hanging out. And momming. She has a and momming. beautiful yeah. three-month-old daughter. And yeah. so it's, you know, you're not busy at all. Nope, nope. I've got plenty of time. But no, actually, I feel like I do have a lot of time to like, I don't know. I I like I'm one of those people that I I work hard, kind of play hard. So I build a lot of rest and relaxation into my life. Oh, that's so, so important. Tell me how you yeah. do that. Like what I, are you what do you actually do to build? I feel like that's such a nebulous statement, and yet I want to know everything. <laughs> I try not to get distracted in the day. So I I'm when I'm working, like when I'm writing, when I'm drafting internet is off phone is off I I do like two hour blocks and they're dedicated writing blocks like I'm not getting up and wandering around and mm. and ideally not at home so that you don't have all the distractions of home I mean we'll see how things go with now that we've got the kid but and I basically like clock off at six o'clock 6 30 and that's when I kind of go into more of fun fun kind of work which is like rereading my work editing stuff playing around with ideas like brainstorming new things so that's all really fun for me but I don't work at night I don't mm. like schedule like meetings and even if my wife's like let's do a financial check-in I'm like not after 6 30 like it's just Love I that. just don't work at night and I had that time for you know whether I'm just like watching tv or like playing with my characters like when you are a writer in fiction you know I always see it as you're working with a cast and they, and you're the director. That's how I think of it. I'm like, I'm the director. This is my cast. We've gone through a casting process. I've given them their matching orders, but like it is a two-way street and you need to spend time with them. You can't just show up and be like, give me your best stuff and expect people to just like leap into action and be amazing. feel like I do a lot of that, like, I guess it would be like rehearsal time yeah. with my cast in that sort of, in that time of day. Gosh, that's, reminding me, I haven't thought about this in forever. So in 2018, my best friend and I went to go see Cheryl Strait and Elizabeth Gilbert at a writer's retreat for a full weekend. It was unbelievable. Like I can't believe we were that lucky. It was four days in the Redwoods. We had, we stayed in an Airstream trailer. It was the freaking best. Oh my God. I'm obsessed with Elizabeth Gilbert. I love her. She is a goddess. I love her so much. And one of the things, there was an opportunity to ask questions Mm. and I actually went up and I asked a question, what do you do when, because this is inevitable for me, I'll get really excited about an idea or creative project. I'll go balls to the wall for like, just, just cranking. And then I'll get like, 40% of the way through it. And then the magic will kind of drop Mm -hmm. out of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'll sort of lose interest. And usually the project just sort of lays unfinished in the graveyard of my desktop RIP. And so I asked, what do you do? Cause I know this is a common thing when you feel that magic start to fade. And Cheryl Strayed was like, do what I did with my husband, which was when we were going through a rough patch in our sex life, I made him have some sort of sexual interaction with me every single day for 30 days. And okay, like when, just because you're not feeling it doesn't mean the magic isn't still there. And yeah, did we have like not super satisfying sex a lot? You betcha. 
But because we showed up for it every single day and we like dated each other and had this experiment together, we were able to make these memories that absolutely would never have existed if we hadn't tried this. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with a creative project. Mm. Sometimes you have to have sex with it for 30 days. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to just be like, I'm showing up. I am dating you for 30 days. And yeah, some of a lot of what comes out of you is probably going to be crap, but then there will be that kernel and it'll, it's very probable that that magic will come back, that that spark will get relit. Yeah. And going back to what we said right at the beginning of our chat, that roller coaster, the ups and downs, I think that exists for creative projects as well, especially novels, because novels are a marriage. Like you were with mm-hmm. that thing for years, like even the quickest is still years. And definitely over the course of every book I've ever written, I've been, this is amazing. This is going to be a number one New York Times bestseller. I love this book. This idea is incredible. I'm a great writer. Yeah. Right down to like, what a mistake. Why have I done this? Like, I like, what choices did I make that led me here? Cause they were all wrong. No one's going to read this. This isn't actually even working. Um, But I never, I don't like, I'm not, I'm not a throw it outside again, mostly because I know I'm aware of the roller coaster. So you just have to, again, take the heat out, just get a little bit of distance from it. And also like finishing things is good. It's a good practice to finish something. Even if, if you are an aspiring novelist, you're halfway through and you're like, I don't know about this just try and finish it. You'll learn something from that process and maybe just having a bit of distance, give it a, like you get some early reads on it. You might just see it in a new light and want to have sex with it voluntarily. There you go. (laughs) Georgia, thank you so much for being part of this conversation today. Where can people go and support you, find your work? What's the best way for them to connect with you? Uh, my website is georgiaclark.com. Uh, Generation Women tickets are available through generationwomen.us. We would love to have you come and see a show. I'm on Instagram at Georgia Lou Clark. So find me there. Fantastic. And we'll put all of those links in the show notes so you guys can be sure not to miss an update from Georgia. And again, her book Island Time is being released tomorrow, June 14th, 2022. Be sure to get your hands on a copy. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you, Georgia. This was absolutely wonderful. And thank you guys for tuning in to find your magic. Get out there and take care. Hey, magic maker. If you made it to the end of this episode, it means you're truly committed to inviting more magic into your life. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and follow Find Your Magic on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to this stuff. Each review truly means so much to me. Thank you for being here. Now go out there and find your magic.